Man, if there's one thing I love about this show, it's how timeless it is. I mean, here we are in 2009, 25 years after the show premiered, and this concert scene could have happened like yesterday. There's absolutely nothing about any of this that screams mid-80s at all. So yeah, Spike and Carly are enjoying a live performance of the only piece of popular music that exists in this universe, along with their giant orange boombox, which is making unauthorized pirate broadcasts back to Autobot headquarters. See, the orange boombox is Blaster, the Autobots answer to Soundwave. He's the only one who enjoys this noise. All the other Autobots are old and unhip, except for Jazz, because, well, come on, man, he's Scatman Crothers. It's physically impossible to make him uncool. Meanwhile, some scientists somewhere are holding a conference on the search for extraterrestrial life, because the giant fucking alien robots fighting a giant space war right in your own backyard isn't enough. Some people are just never satisfied, you know? The humans are testing something called a Voltronic Galaxer. To me, this sounds dangerously close to copyright infringement, but it's been a quarter of a century without any litigation, so I guess that means they got away with it. Tune in next week to see the Gobotic Robotechatron in action. Naturally, since this season is all about the incredible technical capabilities of science in the mid-1980s, the Decepticons want the device, since it's apparently far beyond their pathetic communications capabilities. Megatron, you're going to make Soundwave cry with talk like that. Have you no compassion at all? The scientist attempts to call for help, but Blaster's self-expression gets in the way and we're supposed to feel annoyed with him. I guess robots have no First Amendment. Megatron flies away with the Voltron device and loads it into Astrotrain. Yes, his name is Astrotrain. He's a triple changer. Want to take a wild guess what two things he transforms into? Go on, you'll never guess. Not with a name like Astrotrain. Also, don't even try to ponder the serious size discrepancies here. How he turns into a robot about the same size as Megatron, but can also house several Decepticons in spaceship mode. Internet nerds have all sorts of goofy theories involving, I don't know, subspace pockets or hammer space or something. I prefer the simpler, more elegant explanation offered up by Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's just a show. You should really just relax. The Autobots show up too late to help, which is all Blaster's fault, apparently. So they punish him by sending him out into space with Cosmos, which you'll remember from a few weeks ago is spelled C-O-S-M-S. Blaster complains that he can't even get a bottom 40 station out here, which is actually one of the rare times he says something genuinely lame. Somehow, and I have no idea how, they manage to make him seem fairly cool most of the time. Blaster and Cosmos discover a Decepticon base on the moon, where they've set up their Transor Z Death Star, or whatever the hell it's called. They make a point of sneaking up nice and quietly to do some spying, and are immediately spotted. Yeah, maybe a green flying saucer and an orange boombox aren't the most discreet disguises for spies, all things considered. Especially on the bleak, featureless expanse of the moon. So they're captured, and Blaster gets bitch-slapped. Literally. Then they're wired right into the Doomsday device, which is apparently intended to scramble Earth's communications. Totally a thing Soundwave could do, Megatron, you big jerk. I do have to say, I like the idea of connecting Blaster and the other guy directly to the device, though. It's kind of a cool way to take advantage of the fact that your protagonists are machines. Megatron proceeds to scrambling and chaos ensues, which between you and me is my favorite thing to ensue. Fortunately, the Autobots are here to help, since we didn't have planes and fire trucks before they showed up. You know, I was actually trapped on top of a mountain in the snow about a week ago, no kidding, right here in Seattle, and I didn't need any giant robots to come dig me out. I did it the old-fashioned way. I waited till a couple of good Samaritans showed up to charge me 50 bucks for a handful of kitty litter. But I digress. While all this rescue action is happening, Megatron gives a cozy little fireside chat proclaiming himself ruler of Earth, and Blaster, remaining cool even when he's welded to a giant doomsday machine, sneaks in that one pop song to let everyone know he's okay. Because nobody, not even Megatron, can take away the power of his rock, man. Rock, rock on, Blaster. 
Oh, right, new Autobot time. This is Omega Supreme. He's a big ol' sucker who turns into a rocket base and tank. That rocket only turns to his left and right arms, but apparently it can separate from the rest of him for an extended amount of time. And then the rest of him joins the rocket when he needs to become a robot again. Don't ask me how that works, either. Remember the MST-3K defense. So we're off on a rescue mission to the moon. I've never been to the moon before! First time for everything, Carly. You know, even when this episode first aired and I was 11, I thought that sounded really dirty. Aw, and look, Spike and Carly get little space suits. But never mind that. We actually get an action sequence that's pretty badass as Omega Supreme threatens to crush comparatively tiny Megatron in his mighty claw, and Astrotrain fights back. Yes, it's a showdown between the two most blatant violators of the basic laws of physics. Meanwhile, Cosms and Blaster blow up the My Little Ponic Masters of the Universer, which they could have done all along, apparently. Astrotrain gets his ass kicked, Megatron runs away, and the good guys win. Then it's implied that Blaster hasn't learned his lesson at all and keeps playing his crazy bebop music. Except apparently the sound editors forgot to add some music here, so the effect really doesn't work. Now it's time for this week's science lesson. Despite what you may have heard, gravity on the moon is roughly equal to that on Earth, and sound travels normally. Oh, and don't give me that they weren't using their voices, they were using radio's argument. Megatron was blocking all the radio waves, remember? Blaster, decrease volume. Blaster, shut up! <laughs> 